0: I read the passage, I had these mental pictures, and I thought to myself, well, if you address an audience, and they have come to listen to you, like you have, not to listen to me so much, but, you know, people come to listen to a speaker, and the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, you brood of vipers! <laughs> That probably wouldn't go very well. No free will offering. Having any success. But what we have to realize in thinking about the Lord Jesus and his coming to this world it is not just that he came to make you and me happy. That he came to make all things go really well for us. Um, Jesus' birth is the beginning of the day of the Lord. So it starts, obviously, with the beauty of Christmas. the Beauty of the Son of God born in flesh ours and that he is this person who becomes this savior and he is the savior of course but he in his adult years and when he takes up ministry officially at age about 30 um, we understand that he gave those three might say best years of his life but he gave those three years uh, in sacrifice Because that was his mission. Jesus didn't come to be your life coach. He didn't come to be your personal manager who takes care of your affairs for you. Jesus came to be your savior. And to be saving you from what? From our sins. So, the ministry of John the Baptist is really rich Uh, and pregnant with meaning Mm -hmm. Uh, that person is associated not just with good news meaning like I said everything is going to go well for you because that's nonsense Um, but it is to say I am the one who in God's plan of redemption am bringing to you the one who is going to baptize you with a much better baptism than mine, even though they are related, but the way by which the proclamation of the forgiveness of our sins is administered when people came to John the Baptist to be baptized by him that way, when the one he prepares the way for comes, he gives us the baptism Of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit is God himself. Who is given to us. So in a way you could say with John the Baptist. He is proclaimed. And he is sort of at arm's length if you will. But when we are baptized with the baptism of Christ. By the Holy Spirit. And with fire. Then the judgment that is on every one of us is completely extinguished, is propitiated, as we read a moment ago. It is dealt with once for all. John could not accomplish that by his baptisms, or meant to. So John the Baptist, wonderful person. It's the transition person uh, between the Old and the New Covenants, the Old and New Testament times. Uh, He is the the preparer of the way, isn't he? Malachi 3 reminds us of that, that that would be his role. Um, What I want to look with you briefly is um, uh, the mission that God gave to him, the message that God entrusted to him that we hear from his lips as he is there um, uh, in that strange outfit and um, by the river um, in a sort of desert place, Um, that uh, he has a message that uh, people heard about and they were coming to him by the droves and then finally uh, John's master let's look at that well his mission is uh, pretty straightforward when you read um, first of all how the angel has spoken to his parents uh, that uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth would have a child Uh, they were um, uh, forewarned that uh, he would uh, be the one Who God would choose to uh, bring uh, restoration um, uh, to Israel. Um, As we look at verse 4 through 16, uh, we see that uh, Isaiah's words are quoted the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, and what follows there. So John uh, is um, uh, associated. Uh, with the prophecy by Isaiah as uh, Luke uh, is putting this gospel together and um, it is a reminder then that we're dealing with not ordinary stuff at all we're not getting you know substantive into spaces about how to live and govern your life and what have you Uh, this is just very exclusively about how God brings salvation into the world and that is often depicted that world in uh, creational terms, especially in the uh, prophet Isaiah, you see how the messianic age, when it dawns, when it comes, uh, uh, the impact that it has, transformational impact on the creation. So when we think about the fall, we think about the whole creation, us as human beings included, we are definitely out of alignment, aren't we? We are not in alignment with our maker, because by our sin we have rebelled against him and we turned our backs on him. And um, so that is spiritual, of course, where it all starts with true. But then also in every other aspect of the created order, things are out of alignment. It is by God's common grace, we say, that things work as well as they do, right? Uh, The constellations that, uh, you know... um, well, sometimes you hear about asteroids and what have you, uh, but uh, to my knowledge, we have not yet uh, you know, crashed into Jupiter or what have you. So uh, you know, sort of things uh, are, are working pretty well there. Uh, that would be the end of all of us yeah. if that happened. Um, but uh, we, are, we are especially spiritually out of alignment. Uh, earlier theologians in the 60s and 70s talked a lot about alienation. Um, you know, there's alienation, and this is, this is very accurate. Um, you know, we are, we are not in communion with ourselves, with our fellow brothers and sisters, our neighbors, our other countries, uh, and above all, with God. And so when Jesus comes, that is the beginning of bringing that all back together again. So we are anticipating not only that there is a Savior who comes to die for us for our sins, but that by his redemption, he is doing so much more than that. Because of that redemption, he is uh, setting the stage. And he has built the, the, uh, the beachhead for the kingdom that is eternal and perfect to come and descend and to begin to manifest itself in this broken world already. In a little way, maybe you would say, but it is already here. Already here, but not yet complete. <clears throat> so, the mission, specifically, pointedly, is of course that spiritual arrowhead of it all, that he is to turn the hearts. Now, John the Baptist will not do that by his own power and strength, of course, but he is the means, he is the messenger who is called to bring that good news, that someday, and it is imminent, because he says in the words, the parallel passage in Matthew 1, is that the kingdom is at hand. And uh, the kingdom is so at hand that the kingdom is there. Because we hear about Jesus, and he is the king of that kingdom. And he is right before them. How? If you didn't know he was Jesus, you wouldn't know he was Jesus rather like you and me but nevertheless he is the Lord of glory the king of kings and he is the one for whom John prepares the way to bring the kingdom into the world and particularly when it begins to change you and me so we don't see so much that the creational orders uh, things in society and organizations and governments, that they are all just going toward a golden age. Um, some of our forebears in the Reformed Presbyterian tradition, especially among the Puritans, they and that's why they, the majority of them uh, held to a post-millennial view. We're not getting into that, no arguments, no egg-throwing <laughs> here, but um, they really thought that before Jesus comes again, it's coming to that golden age, everything really powerfully glorifying God and everything in, in the state and in the church. Um, I personally disagree with that. I don't see that. Um, I rather see that God continues to be present in weakness. That's his power. The Holy Spirit's power expressed in the weakness of a vulnerable people who nevertheless are God's empowered people, you and me, to live for the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again faithfully and to the best of our ability to be uh, honorable men and women of and citizens of that kingdom. Um, the messenger not only announces the imminent kingdom of God, but himself is a sign of its arrival, said Hans Konsulmann. Not only does he, John the Baptist, announce the imminent kingdom of God, but himself is a sign of its arrival. So that is very encouraging, of course, to the ones who heard these words first when Luke starts associating this person in the wilderness at the Jordan River, having all these people come to him, that he is the one who is also proclaimed. And so we are being even more made more confident that, yes, we are the people of the book. We are the people whose book is infallible and reliable and totally trustworthy because everything in it comes to pass. And so when this book talks about the Messiah coming, and with that his kingdom coming, and that having a effect on his creation being restored, then we have reason to know and believe that this is not just fanciful, but it is by God's word predicted and fulfilled. And so the mission of John is really central to the whole plan of redemption that unfolds uh, in God's word from Old Testament to New Testament. And central, once again, is that he will turn the hearts, it says in our text. He will turn the hearts uh, to make himself a people ready for the ultimate visitation. So the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as a babe, as a child, is wonderful, is glorious. It's just uh, filling us with joy and peace. But it is a peace that has the strains of judgment through it, running through it. Because this child, the peace child now, is the judge of all the earth. And so that baptism, by which we will receive the benefits of his redeeming salvation and grace on us, that we are born again, saved, forgiven sinners, is nevertheless the person who then comes uh, by his death and resurrection by his death uh, he is removing from us a judgment so the judgment that awaits the world is the judgment that we would have also still be uh, would we, that we would await still had it not been for the lord to remove that judgment from you and so the lord jesus is the one who by his death has removed my judgment in yours by placing it on the shoulders of the Son, so that when I am baptized in Him, because that's the language that the authors use in the the Greek, we are not just baptized in the name, but we're baptized into the name. And so that name of Jesus Christ uh, means so much then to us, and particularly that our judgment is no longer ours to face, because He took it for us. When he died, as a sac- as a sacrifice for our sins on the cross, and thereby, by the Spirit turning the hearts of sinners toward repentance and faith in Him, and so the message is, of course, then uh, following that, um, but very um, so following that meaning that you know repentance uh, is central to to uh, John the Baptist's message. Um, yeah, it's solemn, certainly, but John, Luke calls it good news. Um, it's, it's always good news, even when repentance must be proclaimed, as we saw in the previous uh, message this morning. Um, but um, the, the message is that uh, people are turned away from self and sin, and they are enabled by Jesus Christ to find a way that otherwise would be a mere desert place. And you say, well, do I go this way or that way? Have you ever, anybody ever been lost? Oh, yeah. Yeah? (laughs) I don't talk about... But now I'm found. But (laughs) But (laughs) now I'm found. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about that. (laughs) Uh, Not fun to actually literally be lost somewhere. You say, I do not know which way to go so spiritually speaking there is no way to heaven unless the creator of the world, the judge of the nations creates the pathway for us Mm -hmm. to reach it and that pathway is not a six lane highway Mm -hmm. it is the narrow path it is the canyon pass. It is the pass of precipices that you have all around you, and you make one step this way or that way, and you could just uh, hurt yourself and others spiritually speaking. Um, the message is that there is a way. He is the way, and the truth, and the life. Follow him, you'll be okay, no matter what happens. So. When these people come to John the Baptist, he must be sort of a Billy Graham, you know, maybe personality, I don't know, but uh, he, he strikes me as very robust and manly and, uh, and outdoorsy. Uh, <laughs> John the Baptist uh, minces no words and uh, brood of vipers, you, why did you come here to be baptized? You have no right to be baptized. Um, you know, repent. I have to find my text again. Um, you have to repent of your sins. And it sounds like the Holy Spirit is present there because what does the Holy Spirit do? He is the one who convicts us of our sins. And so I see that as genuine when these various individuals or groups of people are identified And by the way, Matthew specifically identifies the crowds as the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so, whether it's the Pharisees or the Sadducees, whether it's even the Roman soldiers who came, I take that as Roman soldiers when soldiers are mentioned, um, and then the tax collectors. uh, Yeah, talk about revival here. Uh, uh, Revival takes place in the life of the church when the church people are revived in their consciences um, of, uh, uh, of being sinners before a holy God and that we, outside of Christ, await that judgment unless God saves us, um, that we see that these people now finally recognize that they need to repent of something and they, mean, and they need to turn away from very specific things. Um, that uh, uh, John mentions to them. Uh, if, if, if they mean business, then come again, as it were, and uh, you're, you're ready for baptism, because then you understand what this baptism is about. If you come to be baptized and you think, well, you know, it's a good spiritual life insurance, you know, uh, you never know what it's good for, um, you think you're already a child of Abraham... And uh, this John the Baptist, he talks Messianic language, sounds fascinating, sounds interesting. I want to be uh, baptized too. Well, that's frivolous. That's superficial. That's not repentance. That is not humbling ourselves before God and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I come to realize it fully than ever before that I am just not uh, safe spiritually i am lost and without you i'm lost forever Uh, save me jesus as it were Um, and we show that spirit of heart when we mean business with sin and so when we see that there's something wrong in our lives we say lord jesus by your empowerment change it in me i want to be done with that I want to live my life for your glory, for your honor, and for the sake of my fellow brothers and sisters, my fellow human beings around me as well. Uh, May your kingdom manifest itself through my weak life as a follower of Jesus. Uh, The message then of John the Baptist is that, yes, you can be baptized, receive the full and free gift of forgiveness of sins, But don't think that you can do that without repentance because you um, do not obtain the gift then at all and you remain spiritually what you are still, unsaved, unregenerate, unchanged. The axe is at the root of the tree. Thinking about John Johnson Edwards a moment. Oh yeah. <laughs> the sa- the sword of judgment is dangling That's above right. our heads. It's just a matter of the little thread being singed, and That's we right. go down, plunge into hell, down into hell. I know it's very um, human imagery and so forth, maybe, but. But, but that's the, 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 the depiction of reality for us. That if you think that you can be baptized and be a Christian and be a church member and this and that and call yourself a follower and disciple of Jesus without recognizing you need to repent like this and acknowledge that his lordship demands of us that we make the changes in our life necessary. Yeah, brood of vipers, go away, you're wasting my time. Not my time. John's. God's turn. God's turn. Finally, the Master. We all know these words. When the people in verse 15 are saying, Boy, I wonder if John the Baptist might not be Christ. There's so much about him that reminds us of the words of the Old Testament. That someday the Messiah will come. What are the words that John has for them? He answered them, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. And we say in our minds, he did. Because he's right there, evidently, if you go to the end of the passage. Because Jesus gets to be baptized, and when the heavens were opened, Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form like a dove, a voice from heaven spoke, You are my beloved son, with whom you are well pleased. But of that one who is there before him, behold the Lamb of God, he is the one who is mightier Mm -hmm. than I. The straps, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. That's how John the Baptist views his relationship with Jesus. John the Baptist is not that celeb- celebrity in the in the in the Hall of Fame of you know the church. Um, John the Baptist sees himself as a mere servant, and he sees himself as such a low servant that he is not even worthy to do what the lowest servant in that day would be doing, and that is to take care of the master's sandals. I'm not worthy. I think it is so important that we don't just say, wow, what a statement by John the Baptist. He must have really loved God and and, and really be serious about all this uh, stuff but that we take that as a a, um, norm, that we we take that statement, I'm not worthy, as a confession of faith, Mm -hmm. that we all say at the end of the day, I am not worthy. I'm not. I'm not worthy to receive any grace from God. None. Zilch. Nada. I don't deserve it, Lord. I am under your condemnation. I have messed up completely. I need your grace. Your grace alone saves me. And when we receive that grace, we often then also become generous towards others who we have trouble with, who look down upon, who have hurt us, injured us, what have you that comes from a spirit that says, Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be the lowest servant in your kingdom. And yet I am. Because I'm not just doing enough to make you happy with me. You are happy with me because who knows why, but you chose to be happy with me. You received me into your embrace. You made me one of your own. And not just a servant, but a son a daughter i am royalty in christ jesus and so i don't have worthiness of myself but i have obtained a worthiness that is his and it is full and it is complete um, and it will be perfected uh, even in the day when jesus returns and uh, brings us into his presence Uh, whereby we then fully understand it I'm assuming that um, the significance of all these words that we stumble over uh, to express what all these uh, teachings mean for us as Christians now Um, we are not worthy but he is found worthy uh, to open the scrolls right in the language of revelation Mm. Uh, he is the one we need he is the one you need. He's the one I need. He's the one Covenant Church needs. He is the one all the churches in the world need, and definitely all the world's people, humanity needs. The worth of Jesus expressed through the cross, offered in the gospel freely. Repent. Show fruit of your repentance, thereby showing that you're worthy of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. Because the day is coming when Christ returns, that King of kings, that Lord of lords, and we shall rejoice in his appearance because we will not be afraid of this King, this Judge, because he has saved you. And he has called you savingly in his presence, now, then, forever, in glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that we await that glorious day when we shall see you face to face and be so happy and ready and eager to uh, plop down on our knees and to express our worthiness, your worthiness and uh, your glory uh, by our worship and our praises of you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that that party, uh, that celebration starts here, especially in the fellowship of believers, where the Holy Spirit is present and makes this his, his workplace, the factory floor where the kingdom works are being prepared for service in your kingdom this week. And so we thank you for all your goodness to us, Lord, because we are in ourselves indeed unworthy. Thank you that you made us worthy in Christ of serving you now and forever. Heavenly Father, fill us with your joy and your peace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.